If you're a student, you are dismissed to go with Miss Ivy and Mr. Nick and Miss Sherry. Um, welcome to Christ Community Church. I greet you uh, along with Tommy and Sherry and the band. I greet you in the name of our Savior. I'm glad you're here today. Um, we're going to look at a difficult passage today. Not difficult because it's confusing. Um, not difficult because it is offensive. Um, for me it's difficult because I just struggle with a real fear of missing what Jesus wants me to hear and to incorporate and embrace from this passage. Um, where this started was not too long ago, I don't know exactly, week ago, two weeks ago, I read about a lady, and she seemed uh, uh, normal, you know, sane. She didn't seem like a nut job or anything. But she was writing about how um, her, her dad passed away about a year earlier. And um, one night... He appeared to her in a dream. And uh, she was at first filled with shock and disbelief. And then she was filled with joy and excitement. And uh, he walked up to her and smiled and said hi. Acted pretty much, according to this lady's testimony, acted like they had not been separated but just for a few days. And she said, Dad... Uh, thank you for always taking care of me and uh, being kind to me and caring for me <clears throat> and providing for me. I just want you to know I'm grateful. <clears throat> and she said, me, when you died, and I know that I took the money that you left me when you died, and I paid off all my bills, and I put the rest of it in investments for my retirement. And the dad, the lady said, her dad smiled real big and he said honey I want you to know I'm very very proud of you and she said tears started streaming down her cheeks uh, just out of joy of hearing those words come out of her dad's mouth I'm proud of you but then her dad added but I just want you to know something that I've learned since I got up here and she said, okay. And he said, what I've learned since I've gotten to heaven is that what you do on earth really matters in heaven. What you do on earth really matters in heaven. And guys, that sounds like the, you know, some little Reader's Digest story, you know, cute little sentimental thing. But I'm telling you, that story has haunted me for two weeks. I want you to know what I've learned since I got to heaven. 
And that is that what you do on earth really matters in heaven. I don't know whether that story is true. I don't know if that lady made that up or whether that was a real experience. That's not my point today. Okay, I'll let you figure all that out. But that man's words rang true in my spirit. What I do on this earth really does matter in heaven. So if you've got a copy of the scriptures, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Luke chapter 12. I, I looked at two different passages, and we'll look at these two passages, Lord willing, to this morning. And uh, I just want to, we're going to look at them. Like I said, this is a very straightforward lesson. There's nothing confusing about it. Nobody's going to walk away going, I'm not sure I understand what he's talking about. I'm not sure what the Bible means. No, no, no. You'll get it. <laughs> just like I got it. But understanding it and making sure that I am embracing it in my own life. Those are two different things. So let's read, at least I'm going to read part of this. And some of this is my own, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll work up my own little translation. Um, so, but you'll get the point. Uh, in Luke 12, it says that a man came and said to Jesus, let me, let me say this to you just right out of the gate. The way this is worded, oh, Luke tells us earlier in this chapter that Jesus is teaching before a huge multitude of several thousand people. Big gathering. People are flocking. They're crowding in. They're coming from everywhere to hear Jesus, to receive from Jesus, to ask Jesus questions, to just be close to Jesus. So there's people everywhere flocking and crowding to see Jesus. And Jesus is... Teaching them literally the word. <laughs> when I tell you that I teach the word of God, that's one thing. But when Jesus teaches you the word of God, it's literally the word of God. Okay? And so uh, Jesus is teaching them. And, and the way this is worded, abruptly, this man interrupts Jesus. That's the point. Jesus, this man comes up and right in the middle, uh, I'm sorry, I, uh, Jesus, uh, stop healing her. I'm sorry, stop answering his question. I'm sorry, stop teaching that, that, that group of people. I'm sorry, I've got a question for you. I need some help. So he interrupts and thwarts and stops the ministry of Jesus to thousands of people because he wants some help with something. Okay? That's the, way that, that's the way the wording is. A man said, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance, our family's inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, Man or sir, who appointed me judge or mediator or arbitrator between you? Between you and your brother. And Jesus said to the crowd, watch out, guard yourselves. Watch out, guard yourselves. You know, you don't just use those phrases, watch out and guard yourself. Uh, like if your, your, your wife or your friend is about to step off the curb uh, from the sidewalk to the street, you don't go, watch out, guard yourself. 
if you get too close to the edge of the Grand Canyon, watch out, guard yourself. For Jesus to say it that way, watch out, guard yourself. This is big. This is serious. This is something that has the potential to impact you with danger and destruction. That's what he's saying there. Watch out, guard yourselves against all forms of greed. I never, that never caught me until just this week. I've read that verse. I'm telling you, I've read that verse several thousand times. I just thought it, I just blew by that thinking, watch out, don't be greedy. What I find very significant is he says, all forms of greed. That means there's lots of dangers. Lots of ways that we need to be careful and watch out in the way we address the issue of greed. There's not just one form of greed. It's a bigger issue. It's a bigger war. It's a bigger uh, attack that's coming into my life. And as it relates to greed... Watch out. Be careful. Protect yourself from all forms of greed. That communicates to me that there's probably some areas of greed or some types of greed that could be attacking my life that I don't see as greed. I mean, obviously I got the Scrooge don't give that man a lump of, an extra lump of coal. Uh, let him go to the poor houses. I, I got that greed. Okay. I have three lumps of coal. I'm going to give Michael one of them. I got that. Okay. And I'm not going to let Hunter uh, go to the poor house. Okay. So, so, but Jesus seems to be implying that there's more kinds of greed that could be a danger in my life. And then he says this. For a man's life does not consist... In the abundance of his wealth. I like the idea that a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his stuff. And he told a parable. And the way that's worded is it's plural. He stopped talking to this man or this person. And he starts talking to the crowd. Now what he's about to say is not just for this man who's... Got an issue with greed. That's what Jesus is saying to the man. Sir, your problem's not inheritance. You don't have an inheritance problem. You got a greed problem. Now Jesus is talking to the whole crowd. And he says, He told a parable. A wealthy man had a farm that produced an abundant harvest. And he said, the man, the farmer, What can I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. I know. I'll tear down my barns. And build bigger ones. And store up all of my grain and goods. And then I'll have plenty of good things laid up for many years. And I'll take it easy. And eat and drink and be merry. That was his plan. He was faced with this bumper crop of abundance. The stock market shoots through the roof and 
Man, checks are flying in from, from everywhere. Your, your, your business, you got more business back coming in from companies are saying, I need uh, uh, sheetrock and, and drop ceilings. And you got more business than you know what to do with. This man winds up in, the, in a situation where he has great abundance. But right in the middle of it, God says, you fool. This very night, your life will be required of you. And then who will own what you have amassed? This is how it will be for all who store up treasures for themselves but are not rich with God. And that's the question that's haunted me. I'm a religious person. I work full time for a church. I'm a professional do-gooder. I read the Bible every day. I pray. Man, you know, I, I do a lot of little hang out with sick people, talk to people that have problems. Man, you know, I, I do a lot of you know, religious stuff. But if greed comes at me in many forms, and Jesus says to me, Larry, be careful. Pay attention. Watch out. I have to ask myself the question. Am I rich with God? And I wish that you would ask yourself the question. Without assuming the answer. I'm not trying to put doubt in your mind. I'm not trying to insinuate that you're not. I just think that Jesus wants us to stop and consider a very deceptive issue that apparently everyone battles with and ask yourself the question, am I rich with God? This man in the crowd, we don't know his name. We don't know what he did for a living. We don't know anything about his family. We don't know what town he's from. But what we do know is that this man valued his family wealth more than he valued his family relationships. You know any families like that? Value their family wealth over their family relationships. But I've been a pastor for 40 years. I've done 10 gogzillion funerals. I have seen families do the things that you couldn't put on late night TV. Send some of the family off to the parents' home while the funeral's going on to tote stuff out. Um, hire lawyers before we got the person in the ground. To, to, to do uh, uh, legal stuff, trying to better, best each other. Crazy stuff. And crazy, by my definition, is things that communicate that your money or the family money is more important than my relationship with you. We don't know much about this man. 
But we know that he valued wealth, the family wealth, more than he valued family relationships. We know that he valued this money so much that he was willing to interrupt Jesus. Stop Jesus from doing kingdom things because he wanted some validation that he was right. Stop all that teaching and all that healing and all that ministering and all that love showing. Stop all that silliness and help me get my due. If it wasn't so tragic, it would be funny that the man was so focused on his family loot he could not see the treasure of the person he's talking to. He is literally standing in the face of God. He can't see. He, he just wants somebody that will back him up. He, he literally cannot see the face of God. Because these are Jesus' words. Because of greed. His greed had blinded him. Clearly, this man didn't have a plan to protect himself from greed. I think that's what Jesus means when he says, Watch out, be careful in Dutch. We had to learn Dutch when we lived in Belgium and they had a little funny way of saying it. They meant it to be funny, but they, it's the way a parent would talk to a child. Pass up! Pass up! And what that, that means, be careful, but it means like a mama would tell a little child, please be careful. You're too valuable. Your life is so valuable. Pay attention to how you're taking care of yourself. Pass up! Be careful. So my question for myself is, Larry, if there are forms of greed that are so deceptive that you might not recognize them. There are forms of greed that are so devious and powerful that they could get into you and rob you, destroy you, Make you a pauper in heaven. Be careful. If that's true, then my question for me is, and it's what I've been asking myself all week, Larry, do you have a plan? Do you have a plan to protect yourself from greed? What's your, what's your plan? What's your strategy? I don't want to retire broke. I have one, I told the lady that runs my investment, run our, runs our investments. I said, Brenda, there's only one thing that I want you to do for me. When Shirley and I retire, I want to be able to do for Sherry and with Sherry whatever she wants. I don't want her to say, I want to go do this or I'd like this. And we say, I'm so sorry, I didn't prepare for the future. So, Brenda, you're my plan. <laughs> you're the plan. I want you to help me retire in a way 
We don't care about big cars or big houses. We don't care. We're pretty regular, blow-the-radar kind of people. But if Shirley wants something or needs something, I want to be able to provide it for her. Therefore, I have a plan for retirement. My question is, do I have a plan to protect myself from greed? This man did not realize, bless you, this man did not realize that what he did on the earth mattered in heaven. So Jesus tells this crowd a story about a farmer. We know a little bit more about the farmer than we do the real man. The farmer is just a made up, you know, dude in Jesus' story. But we know a little bit more about him. We know that he was hardworking. We know that he was successful. We know that he uh, was shrewd. He was very smart. He uh, had created a very successful business. He was very smart. But what we also know about this farmer is that just like the man, the real man, this character in Jesus' story did not understand that what he did on earth really mattered in heaven. He is blessed with a very successful business. I mean, it's blowing and going. So successful that he doesn't know how to manage all the abundance that he's been given. And so he comes up with a plan. You know, the things that I noticed about this man's plan... His plan to manage, not his plan to get successful, his plan to manage the success that he was given. His plan's very significant to me in that, number one, he doesn't even ask God what God thinks. He doesn't thank God. He doesn't ask God advice or counsel. And his plan for managing his wealth does not include anybody but himself. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to build me some big barns and I'm going to put all my wealth in these barns and then I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry and I'm going to enjoy life. As far as we know, this, this man in the story, he was not a crook. He was not a, uh, you know, he was, a, he was a, an honest, diligent, hardworking man. Probably admired by most in his community. Probably believed like so many people believe. I make my own money. And if I am able to accumulate a lot of it. I can do with it what I want. As long as I don't do bad things or illegal things. Just stay away from bad things. Stay away from illegal things. And I get to do with my money whatever I want. And God's description of that attitude is, you fool. You fool. Clearly the second man did not have a plan to protect himself from greed either. And clearly this second man, this farmer, did not believe that what he did on earth really matters in heaven. 
I would suggest that both of these men, the real man and the fictional man, if they went to heaven, they would not have riches waiting on them. They would not be rich before God. Not saying that they wouldn't get in, but they wouldn't be rich. So that made, it led me to ask some questions. Wonder how I can guard myself against greed. What's my plan to protect myself from greed? And then what does it mean to be rich with God? Um, big subject. I just want to give you a couple of thoughts. First thing I'd like to say to you is that, just to repeat what that man said. What we do on this earth really does matter in heaven. What we do on this earth really does affect our eternity. I'm not saying, let me make it as clear as I know how to make it. I'm not saying that we can do things to get into heaven. We cannot. What I do on this earth does not get me into heaven. I'm either going to get into heaven holding on to the coattails of the Son of God or I won't get in. And I can be as the greediest, sorriest, low-down, slimy, green, good-for-nothing knucklehead. And if I'm clinging to the robe of Jesus, I'll get in. And if I am a miracle-working, water-walking, Red Sea-splitting, cancer-healing, uh, uh, a wisdom of Solomon proclaiming, Got a plaque on my wall that says husband of the year. Another plaque that says daddy of the year. Another plaque that says granddaddy of the year. Got another plaque that says friend of the year. And I'm not clinging to the coattail of Jesus. I won't get into heaven. I won't get into heaven. I cannot get into heaven by what I do. That's what Ephesians chapter 2 says. For by grace are you saved through faith in that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's a free gift. I either accept that or I don't. But I am telling all of us that while my actions and behavior will not get us into heaven, my actions and my behavior will affect my experience in heaven. Listen to the word of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For we all must stand before Christ to be judged. And we will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil that we have done in this earthly body. 1 Corinthians 3. Each will be rewarded by God. According to their own labor. Revelation 22. Jesus says I'm coming soon. And I am bringing my reward with me. 
to repay everyone according to their deeds. Mark chapter 10. I promise, there, Jesus is speaking, I promise there's no one who has left home or family or possessions for my sake and the sake of the Gospels that won't receive a hundred times as much in this life and in the life to come. Matthew chapter 16. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in his Father's glory and with his angels, and he will repay each person for what he has done. And, and, and I, could, I, could do, I could do two more dozen, two dozen more verses. But let me just give you one more. Matthew 25. The Lord will say, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. I'll now faithful with over much. I'll now make you rich. You've been faithful with little. I'll now set you over much. I'll make you rich. I'll make you rich in the eyes of God. Enter into your master's joy. Every one of those verses say the same thing to me. What you and I do on this earth will have a profound impact upon our experience in heaven. As I was studying that passage about those two men, the imaginary man, the imaginary farmer and the, the dude that interrupted Jesus, I started thinking about Jesus' words, being rich with God. What does it mean to be rich with God? What does it mean, how do you become rich with God? And I, I, in my studies, I jumped back to Luke chapter 6. And I want you to listen to what Jesus says in Luke chapter 6. Jesus says, blessed are you when people hate you and insult you and reject you because of me. Rejoice, be joyful, because great is your reward in heaven. For their fathers treated God's prophets the same. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already got... Uh, you've already gotten your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed, for you are for you have for you for now. I'm sorry. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when people speak well of you, for their fathers treated the false prophets the same. But to you who will listen, I say. Love your enemies, do good to all who hate you, bless all who curse you, pray for all who wrong you. If you are slapped on one cheek, turn your other cheek to be slapped. If a person takes your coat, give him your shirt. Give to all who ask, and if anyone takes what is yours, don't demand it back. 
Do to others as you want them to do to you. If you love people who love you, what credit is that? Unbelievers do that. If you do good to people who do good to you, what credit is that? Unbelievers do that. If you lend money to people and expect repayment, what credit is that? Unbelievers do that. Love your enemies and do good to them and lend to them and expect nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be called the sons of God. For God is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. So you show mercy like your Father has shown to you. Those, that passage, if you'll notice, is bookend with a little phrase. At the beginning of that passage, Jesus says, Great is your reward in heaven. And then he ends the passage with the exact same phrase. Great is your reward in heaven. And it struck me how, again, I'd never seen the context of Luke chapter 6 any more than I saw the context of Luke chapter 12. Jesus says twice at the beginning and the end that there are people that will have great reward in heaven. And great reward in heaven. And then he lists all these things in between. In between the two bookends. Did you notice what the things are that Jesus lists? Every one of them. You you go back and read them. Every one of them deal with one of two things. How I treat people that treat me wrong. Or how I treat the poor. Not a, not a mention of whether I drink or not. Smoke grass or not. Say an ugly word or not. Watch an off-color TV show on... Uh, on uh, uh, whatever the thing Shirley watches. Amazon Prime or whatever the thing is that she watches. Um, not a thing in there about most of the qualifications that we attribute to somebody that when they get to heaven, God's going to go, I've got a mansion of wealth waiting on you, sister. Everything that Jesus lists that makes you rich in heaven. Read the list. Find, I bet there's 20 things there. Every one of them relate to how I treat my enemies. Will I love them? Will I pray for them? Will I forgive them? Will I bless them? When they curse me, will will I bless them back? When they're mean to me, will I be kind back? How I treat people that are irritable, irritating, frustrating, hurtful, mean as snakes. How I treat the people in my life that cause me pain and loss and sorrow. Jesus says, you want wealth in heaven? You want to be rich with God? You want to have an experience in heaven that is unique because of its abundance that you will experience forever? You treat people that treat you horribly. You treat them the way, you, way I treat you. 
at the times when you've treated me horribly. You want riches and wealth in heaven? How do you treat the poor? How do you treat people that are genuinely hurting and in need? You want wealth in heaven? You want to be rich with God? You want to experience an eternity of abundance? Not just do you want to get in, but do you want to travel first class for eternity? How do you treat people that God brings to your mind, your eyes, that are in genuine need? Those are the two examples that Jesus mentions over and over again. Loving and helping people make us rich in heaven. Loving and helping people on earth makes us that the heaven. And it seems to me, guys, and we're through, that the harder it is to love them and forgive them and bless them, whether because they're meaner than snakes or whether just because they're, they're needy, they're dirty, they smell. Why aren't they working? Why aren't they lifting themselves up? Why aren't they trying harder? And maybe they're not. Maybe they're as crooked as snakes. But it seems to me that how I treat my enemies and those in need will determine my riches in heaven. And the more difficult or offensive or painful or sacrificial it is to love them and help them, the bigger my wealth will be. The bigger my wealth will be and the bigger your wealth will be. I've tried my best to leave this. I've tried my best to make this as blunt and in your face and clear as I, could, as I possibly can. But also to leave it as vague and general as I can so that you can apply this the way the Holy Spirit wants you to. I'm not... You see my point. You see my point. Beware. Beware of all forms of greed. For life does not consist in the abundance of our stuff. Okay? Susan, would you and Robin come up here and help me, please? We're going to take the Lord's Supper. And I want to invite you to come up um, and join us. Come up in a minute as the Lord gives you desire and freedom and inclination. Um, come up and take bread and take wine. And eat and drink and remember what the Lord Jesus did for you on the cross. This is the whole, I see the Lord's Supper very simply as my declaration 
that I'm holding on to the robe of Jesus. And when he goes to heaven, I'm going with him. That's what it means to me. I'm, I'm with him. Why should I let you in heaven? I'm with him. <laughs> I'm with that. Well, didn't you do some good deeds? Didn't you help a lot of poor people? Didn't you forgive a lot of mean people? Didn't you reach up? I, I don't know anything about all that. I'm just with him. I'm just with him. He said I can come with him. We eat and drink to remember the life and the sacrifice of the Son of God when he came to this earth and died on the cross for our sins, but to be quite honest with you, more importantly, my sins. My sins. And what he did gets me in heaven. My experience once I get in there, according to what I'm studying in Luke 12 and Luke 6, seems to be profoundly impacted by how I see and treat and handle and relate to the wealth that God gives me and how I relate to people, especially those that are very difficult and those that are very needy. But we're going to rejoice that Jesus has provided a free way for all of us to go to heaven. And we're going to eat and drink and remember that. Um, Michael and Barbara will be on my right and my left. Back in the back or up the front? Up, uh, okay, well, well, you'll see them. Michael and Barbara are going to be on the sides. They would love to pray with you. I encourage you to go to them and let them pray for you. They will keep it confidential. Neither one of them have ever called me and said, Hey, I had old Alan uh, come up, Alan Bowling come up and tell me that he needed prayer because uh, 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 whatever. He, nothing, they don't, they, they just talk to the Lord for you. But uh, that's a good thing. So you, you let them pray for you if that is your need. Um, I want to say one last thing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says this. If a person's work remains after he dies, he'll receive a reward. If any person's work is burned up, he will suffer great loss. But he will be saved as of by fire. Lot was saved. Hebrews 11 says that, doesn't it, Tommy? Lot was saved. But he literally got to heaven with his clothes burned off. I'm not going to say he was naked, but literally he lost everything. He got there because of the grace of God. But he got there with everything was destroyed. I don't want to get to heaven and go, oh, I'm so glad I'm here. But I have no riches. I have no riches because greed deceptively and subtly got into my life and robbed me and thwarted me of experiencing the life in heaven that God wants me and wants you to experience. What we do on this earth, it matters in heaven.
Let's not forget that.